0: Welcome back. You are listening to The Drew Marshall Show. We're streaming live at DrewMarshall.ca, and of course, we are live here in Southern Ontario, AM 1250. They tell us we have 150 countries that tune in to each and every show. It's a little weird. Uh, joining me is co host today, John McCauley. Or is it fair to say you are a Belfast boy? Yes. I, I
1: am a Belfast boy, 100%. Right. A real Irishman, not a pretend, <laughs> half baked. You know, Irish Canadian, Irish American. I am 100% Irish. All right.
0: Sorry about your luck. Poet David White grew up with a strong imaginative influence from his Irish mother among the hills and valleys of his father's Yorkshire, you know, a home and all that. Area. Yorkshire. Have you been there? Is it Yorkshire?
1: I've been in Yorkshire. You don't say many Yorkshire, many do you? Yorkshire.
0: He's the author of eight books poetry and four books of prose and david white holds a degree in marine zoology honorary degrees from newman college royal roads university he has traveled extensively including living and working as a naturalist guide in the galapagos islands really who do you go? i want that job
1: he's got some of the best walking trips i've ever seen you should go yeah i mean i,
0: I thought the camino was pretty good i might uh
1: it would, it, uh, it would be an experience going with David White, I can imagine.
0: To be honest, I don't want to read his bio anymore. It seems like a waste of time. I want to actually speak with David White himself. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, the one and only. Sir, you are in Boston as we speak. True story?
2: Uh, I am in very appropriate place to be on St. Patrick's Day. I just was working with the, the old Irish imagination this morning.
0: So, <clears throat> Well done. Um, if you get a chance, go to the Black Rose, which used to be called Rasheen's, and uh, they free pour whiskey there. I've never experienced that phenomenon in my life. It was brilliant.
2: Just Luckily, luck. I'm flying out this afternoon. Oh, <laughs> sorry about your luck. <laughs> I'll be spared. I'll be spared <clears throat> Where are you off to this afternoon, David? I'm going to one of my homes, which is uh, in uh, the Pacific Northwest of the U.S., what you call the West in Canada. Yes. Uh, just below the border there. But uh, my daughter's actually at uh, University of Victoria, so oh. she was born in Vancouver. So, strong Canadian connections. Good, good. Old. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: John McCauley, this is David White.
1: Hi, David. Hello, John. How are you? I first heard David's name, believe it or not, in an organizational leadership workshop, and the speaker got up and said, I want to read something by the poet David White. It was the first time I heard poetry and organizational leadership come into the same room together. It's a a weird phenomenon, yeah. Yeah, It is. It was incredible, David, and it opened my eyes to how even the arts and the gift of language can penetrate even organizational leadership. Wow.
2: Yeah. Well, I suppose uh, I often say poetry is the art of overhearing yourself say things uh, you didn't want to know. And, <laughs> oh, that's good. and there's many things we don't want to know when we're working with other people and, yeah. and just because the conversation can be so difficult so poetry can be, you know, it helps people get out of themselves get out of their normal normal jargon and uh, into a real conversation
0: so. David, someone once said to you the language we have in the corporate world is not large enough for the territory we've already entered can you put some meat on that?
2: That was a fellow called Peter Block, and he was instrumental in drawing me into that world because mm. when I first went full time as a poet, you know, I come from long lines of the dispossessed on both sides and the Irish and Scots side, and long lines of rebels. And I grew up in a raving socialist part of West Yorkshire, uh, which had a great suspicion of any any abstract bodies, whether they were governmental or organizational. Uh, and then you add to that the inheritance of the artist or poet in the West, which is one of outsider. So uh, when I was invited to work with Peter Block, you know, inside organizations, he heard me at a conference. Um, I said no, um, because I thought I would have to compromise my work. And then uh, he called me again. I said no. And then he flew out, actually, to in, in the middle of a winter blizzard, I remember, to see me. And I remember talking to my mother on the phone, and she said, you've already said yes. I said, how do you mean? You said, she said, in the Irish tradition, you know that if you're asked sincerely three times, you have to go. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> that would work well so in, the, in the dating world.
0: I would appreciate that in the dating I think that's great. I like that. Anyway, sorry, David. Yes? No, it's
2: true. If you're, in a, if you're in a kitchen in County Clare ne- and someone offers you a cup of tea, you never say yes right away. You say, no, I'm grand, I'm grand. And then they offer you it again. And you say, no, no, I don't trouble yourself. And then third time, you know they're serious. Go I'm, on then. I'm having on, a, Father
1: a Father here. Ted flashback here. A Father Ted flashback. Go on, go on. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, man. Yeah. Well, we're going to chase well, him. Uh, I was thinking of that very kitchen because my my friend's farmhouse in County Clare is the house that they use for the location in *Father Ted. Oh, wow. So I get to sit in that kitchen all the time, actually.
0: You know, there's only one okay. kitchen I've I really wanted to go to, and that's Mrs. Brown's. Is that bad? Yeah, but it's not... <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's the yeah, only it kitchen I want to go about to the
0: kitchen
2: I saw that the kitchen through, yeah
0: you must cringe <laughs> when you watch that that show eh, David white you seem you seem above it all you know David you tell me you're a real bloke you know you just have this air of hello, I'm David White you know this narrator voice, this poet guy you take the long trails you've got the amazing amazing hair dude, you have amazing hair
2: thank you <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, when I was at the organizational leadership piece, uh, and the first time I heard David's name, one of the women in the audience said, well, we don't just go to see his poetry, we go to see David. Yes. So I, I was sitting, and I'd never heard of you, David, so I looked you up on, on the on the website, and I thought, yeah, I can see why yeah, they go. Yeah.
0: He's a very handsome man. All right, that's enough sucking up to David White. Jeez. I know.
2: Terrible, yeah. It's awkward. I never, I never got to get out of this car the way head <laughs> my hair together. <laughs> Stop <me> from imagining <laughs> So, um, okay,
0: the land of Yorkshire in the Moors. When was the last time you felt abducted by a hawk that had come down and carried you off?
2: Well, it would be the last time I was on the Moors. i have just written a piece called, uh, called A Mind Shaped by Moorland. You know, I grew up in a house that really uh, had a collision between two uh, inheritances, you know, my Irish mother and my Yorkshire father. And, uh, Two linguistic inheritances, too, you know, on the mother's side of the house, the Holy St. Mary and Joseph tonight, and the holy mortal shame of it into the bargain of it, and all the rest, you know? You know, 300 words circling down onto the truth at the end. And, uh, you know, my father's Yorkshire, it's a kind of a North dialect, and it's very, very early, very down-to-earth, you know? So on my father's side, I'd hear, when are you going to get a job? (laughs) And I was only I was only four years old at the time, and <laughs> <quite a shot. laughs> so I really, you know, I grew, really grew up between uh, that kind of lyricism, you know, which actually has its own practicality. I mean, Ireland's all about speaking to the in, unspeakable in our everyday mm-hmm. lives, uh, to the uh, to the invisible, minding the invisible, mm-hmm. and Yorkshire is kind of surreally practical. The point at which it goes out the other side, actually. I mean, it's uh, it's very, very. So I had the two together. So uh, um, I mean, I see poetry as a very, very practical tool that's also astonishingly beautiful in in arranging for us to understand that we have. There's always a larger context um, one you've made for yourself. Yeah, I mean, that's what a sense of humour is based on the understanding, especially in Ireland. That whatever context you have arranged for yourself, there's always another that makes your context absurd. And uh, actually the directionality of every Irish conversation is based on that dynamic. Is that you try to undermine the very foundation on which the conversation began. And when you've done that, the conversation's been successful. Yeah. Then you know what's going on when you're in the pub in the west of Ireland having a good old (laughs) chat with the lads, you know? Yeah. Um, would well, John agree with that?
1: Yeah. I, I would, actually, and may yeah. I say, yeah. mother and music and art probably saved more lives than were taken in Northern Ireland because uh, uh, that's a little line there. Mother, music and the arts Where'd you get that from? From my own head. I've got to oh, write that, that down. down. David, you mentioned this line, the gifted resilience of the Irish imagination. What did you mean by that? The yeah. gifted resilience of the Irish imagination.
2: Well, uh, one of the powerful things about... Uh, about any conversation in Ireland. You know, you can go into a pub in, in C- County Clare on a Sunday afternoon, and you'll be in there for three hours, have the best conversation of your life, and you emerge. As, and just as, about, as you're about to get into your car, you realize you know absolutely no biographical information about the person or the people you've been talking yeah. to. You know? And um, they're very protective of uh, a kind of living identity and uh and they're very reluctant to take on names you know or to be named or to quantify things and it's a very ancient native uh healthy approach to reality we're constantly trying to commoditize other people constantly trying to commoditize our reality you know put boxes and names on it you know when i trained i trained in marine zoology and i went out to the galapagos islands as a young boy god scientist and i found that None of the animals or birds had read any of the zoology books that I had read. <laughs> and Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> None of them. <laughs> and uh, and they refused to live in these boxes that I'd been taught to put in them. And, and uh, you just wanted to turn your face away uh, and go back to your books. So, and once you'd been there a month to go back home and say you'd been in Galapagos. But it was constantly turning your face back to this. Tidal, movable, season, that season, seasonable life that's constantly on the move, you know, and, and that's what poetry tries to speak to. That's what the lyricism in 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 Irish, the Irish inheritance tries to speak to the invisible, the unspoken that actually informs our everyday practi- practicalities. Yeah, and our, our our inability to actually speak those invisibilities and those unseen things. Often prevents us from living a very grounded life, because we end up in commoditized, uh, named abstracts, uh, which comfort us, because we're under the illusion we know what's going on, but they're false names. You know, much better to to have a language that's able to to address something without naming it and putting it in a box. Yeah, uh,
0: David, John, and I are sitting here. Fighting over who's going to ask you the next question because, because we, this
1: requires people of intelligence. Drew, no, but right I now. don't want
0: to be. That's not my show. I, this isn't. Uh, we know. You don't need to say. That. No, but it's not Krista Tippett. You know what I mean? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, I have. I have some. Drew Tippett. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I tip something. Um, <laughs> I've got you. I just have a couple of useless questions I want to ask because you get asked the same stuff all the time, and then you, mm. there's a whole lot of pontification do, yeah. that happens, that. and I then know. the women swoon, yeah, exactly, and then yeah. it's just boring. So let's get into this. Go on. Yeah. Um, how many poems can you recite from memory? That's the just real quickly. Can you know how many poems can you
2: recite from memory? More than I can remember. And uh, I say that tongue-in-cheek, and uh, seriously, I, I have the first lines of all the poems in my iPhone so that I can remember what I remember, because you do forget what right. you remember. Okay, is... I think it's over It's over 300 now, yeah. Good night, <clears throat> man. I mean,
0: that's a chick magnet right there. Seriously, right?
2: It's much better than the Ferrari.
0: <laughs>
1: hello being in a frary and being a poet and,
0: yes yeah doesn't get any better than that and the hair again with the hair um the hair is there is there a poem david that you regret right or one that every time someone requests you you know they oh could you please recite this or re- read it or whatever you you just sort of throw up a little in the back of your throat you're like oh please don't ask me to do that one again
2: well um i don't do requests um um, really, uh, but there's one line of a poem that's probably one of you know the favourite poems out there. It's uh, it's uh, everyone quotes it and everyone, and it's uh, it's a poem called Sweet Darkness. And uh, it's not so much that I I don't uh, um, I still like the poem. Uh, the last line is uh, the last lines are anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. Yeah, and uh, that can be you shouldn't. Good poetry shouldn't be open to interpretation, actually, oh, wow. uh, which is a strange thing to say, considering how much our schools try to do it. But um, uh, you know, that last line could equally be written, "You have made too small for you." So often, people use it as a as a, as an excuse um, to give up on people that they love or things that are important in their lives. So it's important, I think, for that last line to have the other resonance too, which is. Uh, Sometimes it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your aloneness to learn that anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. Mm. So sometimes even your own children, and sometimes especially your own children, don't bring you alive. And then you have to ask yourself, well, how did I make them too small for me, actually? How am I holding the conversation that they're, they're too small for me? Uh, so you have made too small for you. So that's the uh, one line I have a little hesitation about. Okay, all right. About it being bandied around the world.
0: <clears throat> who, David? Who is? Who has hurt you the most in life? Because you speak a lot of darkness, and in my world, the darkest it's ever been is because of somebody else. Although when I look a little deeper, it's actually because of me. So let me just go back on yeah. everything I just said.
1: Let me get out of the chair yeah.
0: and lie down yeah it's therapy time john john just stretched out on the therapy couch um anyway who, who's hurt you the most david
2: i don't know if i could uh if i'd want to uh an- answer it in that mode because i just think that there's no there's actually no path you can take in life without having your heart broken and uh, it's true in romance of course although at the beginning of a romance especially in the age of tinder people are often under the uh under the uh, impression you know when they get a new relationship at last i found i found the person who will not break my heart no i'm sorry you've chosen them out unconsciously for that exact core competency <laughs> they will break your heart you know and they break your heart because you you've learned to care about them you learn to care about them and they move beyond your powers of, of uh control and naming and uh, and so they break your heart. Yeah, and I often think even the longest marriage has had its heart broken many times just to stay together. Huh? Yeah. Um, and uh, and then uh, we uh, we think of parenting. You know, there's never been a mother or a father since the beginning of time who's not had their heart broken by their child, and they don't even need to do anything spectacular. Yeah, huh? but usually they do do something spectacular. You know, then they and they break your heart. But they break their heart your heart just by moving from infancy into childhood, from childhood into adolescence, from adolescence in, and when they leave the house, yeah. And then we also hope, you know, in, in our work and profession that uh, I can I can cultivate an armored personality where I will not have my heart broken. But if you're really sincere about your work, it should break your heart at times. You should not know how to do it, and you should not know how to mature or in it or bring it to another stage or or uh, go from here to there. And, and that actually puts you into a proper relationship with reality wow. because you ac- you have to ask for help, you know? So half of all of our conversations, every conversation in life is mediated through loss and disappearance. One half is about being on the up and up, being given to being great, being given the accolade, being applauded in public. One half is a- about losing your footing, um, about loss, about death, disappearance, illness, yeah. The thing is in life, you're healthy until the day you're not, you know. Even the the Olympic athlete is healthy until the day they're not, yeah. So, um, you know, part of St. Patrick's Day, so we return to the Irish inheritance again, you know. One of the great and powerful dynamics in the Irish native tradition, you could call it, because it's unbroken since the Neolithic, is not choosing this powerful dynamic between not choosing between left or right dark or or daylight yeah
0: yeah but hold on hold on that 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 whole not choosing thing does is that not just like the gateway to some sort of paralysis of analysis or or the escaping of reality or um no no it's not okay (laughs) (laughs)
1: there you are drew it's not right
2: no it's not it's the it's 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 letting the left the living the conversation between the left or right until it matures into something that is already recognized and real yeah so um we um uh we we look at both sides and hold the conversation between between the two of them yeah mm. so um, you could say it's the same question between myself and uh going into the organizational world. You know, I had this this binary understanding of myself. I was either an artist and poet who lived in this liminal world outside of the mainstream society, or, or I was a deathly boring human being who worked, worked inside an organization. And uh, uh, allowing, you know, Peter Block's generous invitation to me allowed to actually to be humbled uh, by... What I found in those organizational worlds, which is people are just as desperate for meaning as they are anywhere else, and they were pushing me, actually, to be more articulate about my work, not less. They were pushing me to be real. You know, they could send something, and they're saying, is this this real, you know? And uh, so I'd be pushed to actually articulate. and So that allowed me to not choose between working in our our organizational and bureaucratic worlds and being uh, this supposedly free agent poet, you know, of existence.
0: You are a master of the contradiction. Thank you, I'll take it as a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) John, you've been been wanting to chirp in there. What do you want to to say? So,
1: recently, David, on your uh, website, uh, in letter from the House, you made a comment that you don't normally speak into political commentary. You always try to speak to everyone, whether it be a hippie, conservative, atheist, deeply religious, conservative, progressive. But this is a time to speak out and to speak loudly about the outrages of our time. And then quote: "The world at large is in deep trouble." What do you mean by that?
2: Yeah, Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, he's the representation of that deep trouble. He's the magnified uh, representation of falsity. You know. And uh, and he carries the falsity that we all we all have, especially as men. You know, he's all <clears throat> all of our male um, stupidities magnified to the tenth degree, so that we can see them. Mm. I have a line from a poem called "The Journey," called uh, where I say sometimes everything has to be inscribed across the heavens, so you can find the one line already written inside you. Sometimes everything has to be inscribed across the heavens, so you can find the one line already written inside you. So he's a, a kind of—he's almost like the crisis you get in an illness where you break out into hives and rashes and and horrible blotchy patches, you know. And uh, and we're looking at ourselves. He's the skin of the body of our community, and um, uh, they have this. Uh, here's a here's a word for you in uh, the ancient greek world, they use this word enantiodromia
0: oh i meant, named my daughter
2: that i know <laughs> <laughs> what does it but, mean uh, that's why i thought i'd mention it <laughs> but uh, it meant uh, it meant the uh, uh the ability of something once it becomes absolutely and fully and utterly itself to change into something else yeah so once winter is fully winter it's safe but once you feel your grief and and your sense of loss about something and you fall down onto that foundation where you've been hanging above for months you know then you can move forward in your life then things the tide the seasonality of your life can change and i i feel like trump is that an uh, anti it's all of our worst aspects you know? especially the egomania of the masculine psyche um distilled into its single malt essence you know so we
1: can you know i never understood that. anything until you said single yeah. malt as
2: soon as that's where you <laughs> dialed in yeah.
0: john just dialed <laughs> in at single malt
2: um. yeah, well, we bring the in too so yeah yeah so,
1: so david one of the ways you're saying to get out of this trouble is to develop courageous conversation uh and i think yeah. it, it, you yeah. know so what does that mean this courageous conversation You
2: know, we tend to think of courageous conversation as me telling you where you need to get off, you know, (laughs) or me telling you what's wrong with you. But uh, the courageous conversation comes from the old French, cur, you know, Uh, the Norman French meaning heart. So it's really the courageous conversation is the heartfelt conversation. It's the one you really care about. Mm. And that's why you stay in it. And that's why you risk yourself in it. Yeah. And it has as much, um, you know, a really courageous conversation, has as much compassion and understanding for the other person as you have for whatever direction you want to go in. And it's not just you delivering the truth to the another person. Uh, (laughs) I have a good friend in London. She was in the psychologist's office and and the psychologist said, her name's Laurie, she won't mind. I've told her, I've told this story before. She said, the psychologist said, Laurie, how are you with criticism? And Laurie said, I'm great with criticism. Anyone does anything wrong at all, I tell them right away. <laughs> <laughs> the no, Laurie. How are you with criticism? I'm great. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, it's really the other side of the question you've been refusing to ask. Yeah. I've been—I <clears throat> mean, I've been making myself read Fox News, besides all the news uh, stations, you know, that corroborate my uh, my bias, yeah. and uh, just because I feel that's really necessary for me to understand the fears and the perspectives. And sometimes, actually, you know, every now and again, there's a corner where you say, <clears throat> damn it, actually, that's uh, that's probably truer than CNN.
1: <laughs> is. Well, it's interesting. I find myself yeah. actually yeah. avoiding both those and going into BBC World Service because I actually get to hear about the world. Oh, stop it. I do, huh? Okay, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> nice Drew. <truth. laughs> yeah.
2: Well, exactly. I mean, it's going between things, you know. It's right. going between things. And... Uh, At the same time, when something's really, uh, really fraying at the edges of society and community in a way, which is, you know, we know now that we can lose things that are really precious to us, that democracy is actually much more fragile than most of us, you know, grew up really understanding. We grew into it, thinking that's how it was just in the air and things were just getting more and more democratic. But we now understand how bloody fragile the whole thing is. It it can just disappear. Yeah. 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 and can be taken over by strong men who are always asking you to hand over your freedom so that you can be protected by them.
0: Yeah. David, I need to ask you this, because time is running out and we want to be mindful of your time. Thank you, again, for your time. But I, yeah. let, let me ask you, do you think there is a God? And if so, what
2: unspoken arrangement do you have with this God? <laughs> well, you know, I always think that whatever my perspective is on the issue it's probably irrelevant you know and uh there was uh there was a woman in connemara peg says, and they were recording her songs and stories for generation for decades you know and she was once asked if she believed in the other world and she says oh jesus i don't <laughs> and then there was a moment of silence and she said but that doesn't mean to say it doesn't exist yeah sure sure you know our, yeah. our own our own perspective my understanding is that. Uh, there's always a larger context than the one you've arranged for yourself so it's just a matter of having that conversation and you will be emancipated into that large territory <laughs> so I can just imagine a gravitational field that pulls you right into something that's way beyond what you can even imagine is present so in that sense there's a there's this I see you know, God as horizon or beyond the horizon actually and it's beyond my ken and it's not worth actually naming in an everyday way it, it's worth following though yeah, but that's Meister but... Eckhart. Maester Eckhart the great uh, Dominican mystic was once asked what is God and he said God is pure absence. Pure absence. It's it's what you feel is missing from your heart and your life and and your everyday circle of of experience. Wow. Well wow. and, and that's what you're supposed to follow
0: that's uh, you've just nailed something quite close to my heart i I walked away from uh from the Christian tribe for the last seven years I've been walking away, and I read that yeah yeah, it's been a weird struggle for me and and um you know in the context of vulnerability and loss and disappearance and you know the those moments where you look to as a as a male, you can maybe look to your left, look to your right, see if anyone's around, and then you shake your fist at the sky and 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 bleed tears because of the angst and suffering and pain and loss and loneliness. And then you, you almost look in the mirror and seem a bit foolish because you think, well, who am I doing this to? So I, I just wonder in those moments where you rage at the sky, you know, I I'm not asking if you have some sort of anthropomorphized understanding or 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 you subscribe to a certain code or tribal yeah. conditioning even. But I, you know, you do speak of God a fair bit in your in your words, and so I don't know. You know, how does one, how does someone like you put words on something you you put words on, but you don't really want to
2: put words on? Whoa, did that make any sense? (laughs) It does, yeah, yeah. You notice in good poetry the the word God is is never used actually, and when it is used, it brings the whole poem to a stop. There's a great moment in an Antonio Machado poem. It says. uh, last night as I was sleeping, I dreamt, blessed delusion that there was God here in my heart. And he's gone through this whole series of things that are in his heart. And then he says, God, you know, and it stops the whole poem. And then it starts again. He says, is my soul asleep? Have those beehives that labor by night stopped and the water wheel of thought? Is it dry? The cup's empty, wheeling, carrying on its shadows. No, my soul is not asleep. It is awake, wide awake. It neither sleeps nor dreams, but watches its clear eyes open far off things and listens at the shores of the great silence yeah. wow. and listens at the shores of the great silence and it's that listening at the shores of the great silence it's that conversation between what you think is you and what you think is not you that is your faith actually it's not some commoditized idea is there a God or not it is, it's, uh, the question is are you in the conversation you know? are you meeting something that's larger than yourself and the whole gradient towards what you want is there and you can't be anywhere else except where you are in the conversation. There's nowhere else to be, actually. But you are part of this journey from here to there, from from what you thought you were to what you're just about to become. You're that invisible conversation. You
0: know, you know what? you um, You have this great gift of giving, I'm sure, many people the same headache that I have right now. I... The processing of what you say, I mean, you just drop nugget after nugget yeah. after nugget, and it's, it's part irritating, <laughs> uh, and it's part ethereal. Like, it's part, you know, like um, Bob Dylan, when he was asked about his early songwriting career and all these, the prolific time in his songwriting, he's like, I don't know where those came from. I was just a vessel.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. Um, so, I don't yeah. know, that was my way of sucking up to you. Uh, just before we say goodbye, I want the Belfast boy to have his, have the last word, as
1: you well, usually I, do. Well, I think w- what I love about David's work is it makes you pause and create space, which when I was going through becoming a, an executive coach, the whole thing was about getting rid of your own narrative and being fully available and open to your client and create space. And so David's poems, I think, create space. So, David, if someone was to begin... Getting into David White, which book would you suggest that, that they start? Because you have several books. Which one would be a good place to yeah. start? Well, hold on. Can I
0: vote first? Sure. David, I know he asked you, but I, it's called The Drew Marshall Show.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Not today, baby. <laughs>
2: We're uh, just into Lopez. Yeah,
0: yeah. Mm. Uh, I, that Consolation one, just, that is really? ridiculous. I, I'm, I also, uh, you know... Do a part-time yeah. shtick as a hospital chaplain, and and there has been more. Yeah. There's been more fodder in that book than than anything. I, when I walk into a to a hospital room, of someone who you know the family is there and someone's about to to die, that is the thinnest place. You know what I'm talking about. Thin oh, yeah. places. That is the thinnest place in the world. And then to bring in your words into that place from that book. Ugh.
1: Anyway. Not bad. Yeah. And I would say, David, my, one of my favorites. No, is you again. asked him the question. Let him answer. <laughs> you interrupted him. So, get David. Your best book that you someone could begin the journey with you for. Okay. Well,
2: it depends whether you're able to read poetry to yourself or not. And the poetry is the real stuff. I always say poetry is the thing itself, and prose is usually about I think. But if you, so, if you can read poetry, I'd say I go to my poetry, "The House of Belonging." But if you if you if you can't, uh, then I would say consolation. Um, those very short essays, their little lightning raids on the unspeakable, as Thomas Irm said. Oof. And they're trying to, they're, they're essays that are trying to rehabilitate words that we use in very imprisoning or pejorative ways uh, to understand the underlying freedom in them that they're actually pointing toward. So um, that, I would say, consolation. So.
0: You know, I rarely suck up like this, but I just want to do this once.
1: What a what a pleasure. You know, mention might have again. You? No.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> beyond your hair and good looks. You, Be, beyond, beyond the hair and the Ferrari.
0: Um what a oh, man. What Ferrari. Going, yeah. Mm. No, it yeah. seriously. Just a pleasure. A real pleasure. I it, and it's it's, it's it's a weird tension because I I love your work but it disturbs me. So thank you.
1: Yeah.
2: Great.
0: Lovely. Yeah. David White on thanks, the thanks Drew Marshall. Well. Show. happy St. Patrick's Day. Lovely. David. Yeah, a pleasure. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye.